Just a little while ago, I had the privilege of preaching in Bangor, North Wales, as they celebrated 50 years of the church being brought into existence. And it was an encouraging weekend. Lots of folk from past years came along, and people who had been converted uh, as students or locals were there. And it was encouraging to see how the church has gone on and uh, continues to have a, an effective ministry uh, in that area. And we do need to pray for that church and the Welsh church there in Bangor and many other uh, gospel churches in North Wales. Some of them are quite small, struggling. I met uh, recently in a conference uh, a young pastor who pastors 11 churches in the Llansanon area of North Wales. I asked him how he coped with it. He said, very well, on the whole. And uh, four of those churches would close if he wasn't pastoring them. And uh, he really sees it as a vital ministry to take the gospel into those villages and to, to shepherd the people. So there's great need throughout Wales, and we need to remember gospel work in our land. I mentioned Bangor because asked to preach on the Saturday, I, I was drawn very much to Ephesians chapter 2. And I wanted to explain to them the reason why the church originally came into existence. The church came into existence because of the gospel. No other reason at all. A group of students, research students mostly, one or two locals were burdened that people in the Bangor area should hear the gospel. And so they met in uh, homes uh, for a few months, an English group and then a Welsh-speaking group separately, not knowing about each other. And then they came across each other uh, in fellowship one day, decided to join together and then to establish a church. And one cannot estimate the numbers of people converted uh, over the years. We know that there's a significant number of internationals, national people, and, and uh, God has been gracious. But the reason why a church exists is for the gospel and for the glory of our triune God. So I want to take you this evening to Ephesians chapter 2 and into verse 18. For through him, says Paul, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. I almost feel like pinching myself and asking myself whether this really is true. Is it real? Is it a fact that through him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, whom the Father sent from heaven, who was incarnate on that first Christmas, became the God-man, humbled himself, lived a life of love and obedience. On the cross, he died in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sin, 
purchased redemption, rose from the dead, and returned victoriously to heaven. Through him, says the Apostle Paul, we have access, we have an introduction, we have an entrance. We can go into the very presence of God the Father by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God working a miracle of new birth in our lives, giving us spiritual life, opening our eyes, opening our ears to the truth of the gospel, changing us inside. Paul says, through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Can it be true? Can it be true for a young person, perhaps sitting in the gallery this evening, perhaps confused, searching, seeking after the Lord, an older person, someone who feels their life is in a mess, you've done bad things, you're ashamed of yourself, perhaps this is the first time you're in a service or you're from another country. Is it true that I can come to God, that I can have an introduction to God, that I can know God through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit? Of course, the Bible says, yes, it's true, gloriously true. Through him, and only through him, only through the Lord Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, we have access by one Spirit to the Father. And yet, I still ask the question, is it true? Ask yourself, is it possible for someone like ourselves to know God? After all, we're talking not about a human, we're talking about God. We're talking about God who is eternal, God who is transcendent, he's the high and the lofty one, he's wholly different from us, he's almighty, he's the creator, the sustainer of the universe, he rules everything in international affairs, in local affairs, in family life, in personal life. The Lord is working all things according to his purpose. He's in charge of the world. Is it possible that someone so great, so big, so powerful, can be known by us? Especially if you're aware of your sin, Perhaps there are some here tonight who, who feel dirty, you, you, you feel guilty, you know that you've broken the laws of God, you find it hard to forgive yourself, you may feel that God cannot even forgive you. How can we know this God? After all, he is holy. There's no sin in him, he's clean, he's pure. And even the angels cover their faces before him. They worship him and cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. His purity is absolutely dazzling in heaven. 
But if you're a Christian, you may have been in meetings or in the presence of God when suddenly, unexpectedly, his presence has become very real. And you can tremble. You can almost put your hand out. God is present. You, you dare not speak. God's holy presence. You become aware of your sin, even as a believer. God is absolutely pure. And we are sinful. We're dirty. Our hearts, our motives, our desires, our lusts. Can we know this, God? Yes, says the Bible. Through him, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through what he did for us, we both have access by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We need a miracle in our lives to make us alive to God. And then we can come and know God and enjoy God. That's the message of the gospel. And yet the, the Bible is realistic. And first of all, we have to notice there is a problem, as we've already considered. And Paul, in the first part of this chapter, indicates what that problem is. It's the problem of our sin and our estrangement from God. What we are really like, the Apostle describes in verses 1 to 3. And then in verses 11 onwards. There's some key words here I'll just mention quickly. One key word is dead. You who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking about spiritual death. Now, many of us may have been in a room or in a hospital where a relative, a friend has died. And there we are standing by the corpse. We may speak some words to the dead person. We may be crying, showing emotion, hold the hand and touch them. But there's no response whatsoever. Their eyes don't open. There's no difference what you say or do. And that's exactly what the Bible says we are like before we become Christians. God speaks to us in his word. We do not hear or we do not want to hear. We cannot see, we're blind. And we dislike what God is saying to us in his word. There's an enmity, there's opposition, there's rebellion. I want to go my way. And so today in society, people talk about their rights. I can do what I like. I have the rights to decide. We're spiritually dead to the Word of God, to the law of God. And even though God has revealed his glory in creation, his power, his eternity, we will not acknowledge it. Another key word here is trespasses. Means that we've deviated. There's a major diversion. 
God's purpose when he created us was that we should glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our life should center around God. That's God's purpose. And no wonder there's a problem of identity today, feeling of purposelessness. People are groping. What am I here for? Well, God created us in order to know him, to glorify him, and to enjoy him. But we've deviated. And the historical background is that our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned. God created them perfectly. They enjoyed fellowship with God. They enjoyed God. They walked with God. And yet they disobeyed God's command. And in disobeying God, they were punished. God is holy. He must deal with sin. Sin cannot remain in the presence of God. And so Adam and Eve were were sent out of the garden. Fellowship with God was broken. Their nature became sinful and we in him as our federal head, are affected. And the sentence of death was introduced. Disharmony in nature. And all of us by nature have deviated from God. The other key word that Paul uses here is sins. Falling short of the the glory of God. You don't need me to describe it. We're often disgusted with ourselves. There's there's a hidden evil inside us. Our hearts and minds and thoughts can be so bitter and evil and dirty. We've fallen short of the glory of God and the standard of his law. Can I know this God? For the Gentiles, for the non-Jews, Paul says there's a a further problem. And he goes on to describe it in verses 11 onwards. The big picture is that God, in eternity, made a covenant of grace. God the Father planned a vast number of people to be saved (coughs) from, from many nations. He appointed his son, the Lord Jesus, to be the saviour. He appointed the Holy Spirit to bring application of that salvation to individuals. That's the covenant. And at the right time, the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to, to save. But in the meantime, God gave promises. He gave prophecies. And he dealt and limited his purpose temporarily to the Jews. Circumcision was introduced as a badge of membership. And under Moses, this covenant was particularized further. Israel became the church and the state. There were ceremonies, there were ritual, there were priests, there was a temple. Yet all these things were pointing to Jesus Christ, finding fulfillment in him. The Gentiles knew little, if anything, about these things. Paul says they were without Christ. They knew nothing about the promises about a coming Messiah. 
They were groping in the dark. They were aliens, excluded from the blessings of the Jewish people. They knew nothing about the history of God's dealings with his ancient people. They were strangers to God and his friendship. That was true of the non-Jews. And so Paul is reminding them of what they were like before they came to Jesus Christ. Is it possible to know God? Can we really have access to this holy God? Secondly, notice how Paul handles this from verse 4 right down to our text. It's because the triune God has intervened, he's stepped in. His eternal covenant of grace is, is glorious. It centers in Jesus Christ. In the fullness of time, his son would come. And the love which exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they love one another infinitely. There's unity, there's harmony, there's joy in each other's presence. It's a glorious picture. And this triune God expressed their love for us. So in verse 4, God, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and in sins, and even when we were spiritually dead and enemies, God loved us in Christ and gave his Son, the Lord Jesus, to, to die for us. And that love which exists between the Father, Son, and Spirit has been expressed. We're reading of the, the floods in some of the parts of England. And earlier this year, there was the Whaley Bridge in England, that, that reservoir which collapsed. And the water came rushing down into the villages. You can think of the love of God in this sense. The, the eternal God, the triune God, loving his people. And this love being poured out of heaven, but coming down through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, cascading down, pouring down in his Son. Here's the unspeakable gift which God has given, his own eternal and beloved Son. And he is going to take our place. He will obey the law which we have broken. He will go to the cross and the wrath of God which we deserve, he will take upon himself. And he will say to the Father, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, He's being punished by his own eternal father. There's darkness, there's spiritual desertion. The father no longer comforts him. And yet in the darkness of, of that period, he is handling as our sin-bearer our guilt and our punishment. And the later he cries out, it is finished. The work for which I, I, I came to do is, has been completed I've taken God's wrath, which the church deserves, upon myself. The veil of the temple was rent in twain. 
it is finished. And here says the Apostle Paul, here's one who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. God so loved the world, the world of sinners, of people who are evil, that he gave his only begotten son. And what Paul does then is to remind the Ephesians the significance of it. Because they were strangers, they were aliens. They were outside the the people of God. In regards to the temple in Jerusalem, there was an outer court which the Gentiles could be allowed to go in. It was right on the outskirts of the temple. The Jews could go further in. The priests could go a little further. The high priest could once a year go into the very holy of holies, the inner sanctum. But only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would need to take the blood of an animal, of a sacrifice, sprinkle it on the altar, representing his people and atoning for sin. It pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. The way into the presence of God has been barred to to all sinners. And yet when the Lord Jesus Christ came and paid the price for our sin, and laid down his body, bearing our sin in his own body upon the tree, at that moment, the way is opened up. The Father accepts his sacrifice, raising him from the dead three days later. And he's taken back to heaven. And from heaven, the Lord Jesus sends his Spirit upon the church. Further proof that his sacrifice has been accepted. And Paul confirms in verse 14, 13 first, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You, you were outside the kingdom. You were barred from the presence of God. But you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. All that Jesus did on the cross has made it possible. In verse 14, for he himself is our peace. He has made peace with God for us by bearing our sin broken down the barriers and the wall of petition between Jew and Gentile, the barrier between the sinner and God, remove the wrath of God from us if we believe. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off. It's an amazing fact. Adam and Eve had been driven out of the, the garden of paradise and from the divine presence they sinned but now in Jesus Christ we can enter the very presence of God we can know him we can be right before him Jew or Gentile 
And when we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we are accepted, we're forgiven, we are declared not guilty. The righteousness of Christ is reckoned to us. So through him, says Paul, through the Lord Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the miracle of new birth, the indwelling. We have access by one Spirit to the Father, God the Father. Now, some of us may have met important people over the years. About three years ago, I was conducting a funeral in a former pastorate I had. And there were some important Welsh sports people there. And uh, I was burying the, the mother of one of them. And uh, I felt I was shaking hands with famous people, people I didn't normally meet. And some younger people in the area, when they heard about it, they said, well, you should have introduced us. We, we would have loved the privilege of meeting those famous sports folk, some of whom have been in Japan recently. But just think of it. Not a sports person, not royalty, not a famous politician, but a sinner, dirty, unclean, condemned by nature. We can be introduced to God himself, the living God, the eternal God. We can know him. I mentioned uh, when I was in Bangor recently that there's one occasion on a Sunday when a crowd of students came to me hurriedly and they said, Dr. D, Dr. D, we've shook hands with, with this man yesterday. So excited. He was a famous footballer, a Welsh international. So excited. We, we shook hands. One boy told me, well, I haven't washed my hands since. Such a privilege. But we, we are introduced to the living God. We can know God through him, by one spirit to the Father. You don't need a priest. You don't need an elder. You don't need a Virgin Mary. You can come directly to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe upon him. I end on this note because the verse reminds us that we, we do have this access. It's not just a past tense. It's not just future when we go to heaven. But we have access by one spirit to the Father here and now. The moment we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this access. Now, Christians are very privileged. We've been born again of the Holy Spirit, and that's a miracle. We don't do it ourselves. God the Spirit does it. It, it really is 
a miracle. And, you know, I, I didn't make myself a Christian. It happens unexpectedly. And what you realize then is, once this happens, you think differently, you desire differently. You've got different values, different interests. You love what you once hated. You begin to hate what you once loved. You become a new person in Jesus Christ. It's a huge privilege when the Spirit of God comes in, invades your life, changes you inside, brings you to the Lord Jesus Christ, gives you the gift of faith and repentance. And in turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're turning from sin. And we are believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We do it by his grace. It's a huge privilege. And then we're brought into union with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And the Christ lives in me. I know him. There's this intimate, personal relationship between us. And the moment I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he declared me not guilty. I'm declared righteous. I'm reconciled to God. There's no barrier between us. But also, he has adopted me into his family. I was once an enemy, a rebel. He now treats me as a child. And the Holy Spirit goes on to make me more like the Lord Jesus. We call it sanctification. That's the evidence of being a Christian, that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin and making us more like the Lord Jesus. And he's going to take us all the way to glory. And here is the privilege that we have access by one Spirit to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. I now know him as Father. He cares for me. He has compassion. He provides for me. He defends me. I have access to him. So when I pray, it shouldn't just be mere words. I'm talking to a living God who is my Father. He loves me. He cares. He is compassionate. There's a dynamic relationship between a Christian and the Lord Jesus and the Father. Prayer is more than words. It's more than a physical exercise in kneeling and speaking to God the Father. I'm in his presence. I can worship him. I can express love to him. I express my need to him. He knows. He cares. He gives wisdom. He gives grace. Times when I cannot cope, he is there. He understands. The Lord Jesus sympathizes. He is my great high priest. 
I can linger in his presence. When you love someone, you, you don't just say hello and then rush out. I've just got two minutes, I'm sorry, I can't say anything more. When you love someone, you want to stay there. You want to be with them. And that's true of a Christian, it ought to be. We have access by one Spirit through the Lord Jesus to the Father. We don't struggle to get into God's presence. We may need to repent. We may need to deal with our hard hearts. But we can go right into the presence of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And we can enjoy him. That's fellowship. That's what Christianity is all about. Our Lord prayed in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they might know thee. Paul's desire in Philippians 3, that I may know him. It's an intimate, personal knowledge, enjoyment, relationship with the, the living God. It's relational. It's not mechanical. I'm not just doing my duty when I pray or read the Bible. I'm coming to someone who loves me and who by God's grace I love. I want to go to him more often. I fear, however, that as Christians we're living as, as paupers, as beggars. We neglect this enormous privilege of access to God, knowing him, enjoying him, of God dealing with us. A few days ago, my brother probably is listening to me on live streaming, so he'll forgive me. We were talking about real fellowship. Not talking about the weather or work or food, talk about the Lord, his dealings with us, things which are important, vital, our relationship to him, loving him, knowing him draw near to us, applying the word, making his promises real, knowing the depths of his grace, his peace, enjoying his presence. As I was telling my brother about the glory of heaven only this last week, he told me I'm already in heaven. The Lord is real. He comes near to his people. So the Apostle Paul writes here, through him, the Lord Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. If you are a Christian this evening, this is your privilege, your right. And we dare not spur the privilege. We need to come frequently to the Lord and to enjoy his presence. And if you're not yet a believer, I invite you to come. I urge you to come. The Lord will give you a warm welcome.
He'll perform this miracle in your life. He'll bring you to Christ. And you'll know the reality of, of knowing Him.